basically the kind of long-winded answer to this is that I think it's actually awesome to have both because you can have that stream of new stuff happening and you can have that more live to the library, which is meant for like your really evergreen resources that are super easy to discover, probably take a lot of effort to make, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to choose one or the other. I had never noticed that trend. So I thought that was really interesting that he identified that and cited a bunch of examples. Um, so yeah, why not both? If I was going to pick one though, like if I was sort of forced to pick one, I would always choose library though. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Zimi Daly who is the co-founder and CEO at Superbath, a Slack community for con marketeers. Zimi, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to be chatting with you today, George. So before we dive into the really interesting stuff, I would like to start uh, by getting to know a bit about you, uh, about your background and what has brought you to where you are today. Mm. Like from the beginning? <laughs> like how far back do you want to go? You can go as far as you want. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> How about, how about this? I went to college, got an English degree, had no clue what to do with it. Uh, stumbled into a person that was um, running an SEO agency. And uh, they asked me to do a little freelance writing for them. This was like $30 an article type of stuff. It was really low end. Um, but it opened my eyes to um, the, the skill of writing and, and really the the ability to commercialize that skill. And I was really intrigued by it. And um, one thing led to another. I actually went to go work for that same company in-house for a little while and did marketing there and then went to an agency and then went to a SaaS company and then to an agency and then a SaaS company and then an agency and then now I'm doing my own thing. Um, but it, uh, so many things have not changed since then. Like once, once I sort of discovered this world of content marketing and SEO, I was just fascinated by it. I wanted to build a career in it. That's what I started doing 12 years ago, and that's what I'm still doing today. Okay. And where is Jimmy Daly today? I mean, I know that you run Superpath, and I'm very excited to, to learn more about it. And I guess that our listeners would love to know what is Superpath and who gets the most value out of it. Mm, yeah, good question. Actually, that's a very good question. Superpath is a, it started as a Slack community that I created really on a whim. Uh, I just wanted a place to be able to talk with other content marketers. This was a little bit before there was, you know, tons of Slack groups for every type of activity. And uh, other people seemed to like it too. And it gained a little bit of traction without me putting much effort into it, which to me was a signal like, oh, there's, seems like there's something here maybe. That, you know, that, the next thing it got me thinking was like, hmm, maybe there's a way to monetize it. 
you know, uh, what about a job board or what about a paid uh, version that offers some additional stuff to the members? And um, anyways, to make a very long story short, I transitioned out of animals and started working on this full time about 18 months ago. Uh, the business has evolved quite a bit, but it's still built around this free Slack community for content folks. We have a few other things going on that we earn revenue from. So we have a paid membership, we have a job board, um, we work with partners, and then we're in the uh, early stages of launching a content marketplace as well. I think it's most useful for someone who's a, a head of content or a, an aspiring head of content, right? So we don't really spend any time on content marketing 101. If you're new to content marketing and you want to come hang out in the Slack group, you are absolutely welcome to, but you won't find many conversations on, uh, on the basics. Like I generally am steering conversations towards more advanced topics. Uh, so examples of that would be like, yeah, not, not how long should my blog post be, but, um, it might be maybe a head of content who doesn't have as much budget as they need and is working with a leaner team than they would prefer and how their strategy is going to be affected by this. And if they need to change their goals and how do they explain that to their CMO who's demanding a certain amount of growth and you know, their agency is not, is not doing great work for them. So they're switching over to freelancers and it's kind of messy. That's sort of the point of it though. It's like, this is what it's like to be in a content leadership role. It's, you know, part of it is the craft, the, the skill of, of writing and editing and understanding your readers. And then the other part of it is the, this giant bucket of, I guess what I would call soft skills of just like being able to get stuff done. Um, and we spent, we spent a lot of time on that. So for, yeah, if, if you're sort of ascending in your career, maybe you are or were a content creator and you're kind of working in your way into a, a more of a leadership role, I think you'll get a lot of value from it. Okay. That sounds, uh, that sounds awesome. Speaking of advanced, more advanced concepts when it comes to content marketing, I was reading your ebook on advanced uh, content marketing concepts. Uh, I, I found it really interesting. Some points were very, very interesting, actually. One of those points was the fact that the business model of a company should dictate the content strategy. And I would like to know from you what that means. And we can use two examples here. Software company, which is obviously interested in numbers. We want to get as many people as possible in the door and a professional services company like con marketing agency. Yep. So I'd like to, to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. Okay. So I'll give you a quick background. So one of the things I worked on at animals, which is the agency that I worked at previously was sales. So on the front lines, talking to prospects every day. Um, and in addition to that, when folks said yes, like helping them get up and running with a strategy that we could actually start executing. One of the things I noticed was that um, content strategy was often over-engineered. And what I mean by that is it was sort of built from scratch. And in talking to several hundred uh, B2B SaaS companies mostly about strategy, I realized that it's actually better to just sort of peel back a few layers to, and the content strategy will reveal itself. And that may sound like a little too woo-woo for some folks, but it's actually, I found to be very true. So like once you understand, for example, uh, the type of business, um, the cost of the cost to acquire new customers, uh, and whatever channels are currently helping them achieve those goals, you can build a, a pretty good content strategy, like in a few minutes. I mean, you could at least come up with the concept for it. Um, so, so you mentioned software and professional services. I would break software out further. I think depending on 
um, how that company acquires customers significantly affects how they should approach content marketing. So like, for example, if you are a productivity tool using a freemium model to create content or sorry, to acquire customers, you have a very different problem than an enterprise SaaS company that's landing a handful of big deals per quarter, you know, and then kind of deploying that software to hundreds or thousands of users within a company. Those are just like very different problems. One is probably going to be, uh, probably going to need quite a bit of volume and quite a bit of top of funnel, right? So like that, like kind of freemium productivity company, you're just going to have to reach a lot of people so that the small percentage of ones that do pay, that there's enough of them there. Um, obviously, there's a lot else that goes into that, right? Like uh, that's more of like a product-led growth model. Content is one piece of it. You're going to need lots of nurture campaigns. You're going to need great product marketing, et cetera, et cetera. For the enterprise SaaS company, it's kind of the opposite. It's like, it's probably a sales-driven organization. Um, you're going to need a lot of sales enablement content. You're going to need great customer stories, case studies. You're going to need lots of content for your uh, sales team to be using in their email and phone follow-ups. Uh, probably going to need to write a lot about uh, your integrations, right? You, you may, the content team may even end up working alongside customer success to create content to help users get going. Like it's just a totally different model. So that's like, when I think about those two types of companies, I kind of have this vision in my mind of like what the content team should be working on. Then the professional services companies is like a whole nother thing. So like, this is what we were doing this at animals too. So I was working on both sales and marketing there. And uh, in some ways it's similar to enterprise SaaS because uh, the volume requirements are lower. You know, if you're a freemium SaaS product, you may need thousands of trials per month uh, or not trials, like just free users so that 2% of them become paid every month in order to make the business work. Whereas an agency like Animals, we needed two customers or three customers in a month. And like that kept our growth moving quickly enough that it was hard to hire enough people to do it. Um, so the approach that we ended up deciding on, and this is, uh, I think professional services companies have a little more leeway in the type of strategy that they choose. What we ended up doing was very um, focused on thought leadership. So we wanted to uh, build our brand, build our reputation through thought leadership content. And we felt that because we spent all day, every day working on content marketing for these various companies that we we probably have insights that other people don't. And as we like dove into that, we found we had all kinds of cool things to talk about. Um, we made a big deal about writing uh, about topics that we had never seen anywhere before. So like no amount of keyword research would lead you to the topics that we ended up writing about. And I can give you some examples of what that looked like. Um, that worked great. You know, it helped us build an email list, which was incredibly important um, because I was working on both marketing and sales. I was hearing on sales calls Oh, I read this post. I, you know, that you described the exact problem we had. I've never seen it written down anywhere. Like that, that was sort of what we were going for. Um, and it worked really well. I think agencies can scale with SEO. I think they will almost certainly need sales enablement content. But the strategy, in, at least in that case, isn't as like crystal clear to me as freemium SaaS or, or enterprise SaaS. That's a great answer. Uh, thank you very much for diving deep into, into that. And let me just say, just for the record, that I really love the, the content that Animals is, is publishing. I think it's, it's something different, you know, than, than what you see most agencies uh, publish. And we did the same mistake in the beginning as well. Like we were targeting keywords, but right. what's the point? Like, let's say that we have visibility for a term like content audit. That's great. 
uh, or we rank for blog post templates, that's great. We are never going to close one client just you know, from a, a blog post that's about blog post templates. Whilst if you talk about concepts that are kind of more advanced and uh, that can position your, you as a, as a thought leader in the space, that's it. That's what you want when you're a low volume business. Yeah, definitely. And you know what's fun about that is because you're working on it every day, if you kind of focus your perspective, you'll find so many cool things to write about. Like if you want to rattle off a couple of examples of things we wrote about that people love that we had never seen anywhere. Like for example, in looking at lots of different folks, Google analytics accounts, we found this pattern that many sites had what we decided to call a whale, a single article that got far more traffic than everything else. And what tended to happen was uh, it, it got so much more traffic than all the other content that it's up and downs would affect the entire site. So if that article started losing its spot on a SERP, it looked like the entire site was tanking when in fact it wasn't. So if you filtered it out, you could see more clearly what was happening with the rest of the site. We saw this all the time. Uh, we wrote about it and then heard from a ton of people that said, wow, we have this problem. We didn't, we always assumed that there was something wrong with the entire site. Now we have this new perspective. So like, that was like the type of stuff that like kind of helped us differentiate. Yeah. Talking about a piece of code that helped you differentiate. I remember a piece that you wrote on library VS publication. And this is a thing that I think since you wrote that article, which I assume is one of the most successful articles on, on, the, on the blog, many people have talked about it. I talk about it as well when I'm at a webinar or you know, at a podcast as a guest. I, I always talk about libraries via publications because uh, you uh, started this, this conversation. Nowadays, though, I have this thought that Maybe in some cases, it's okay to build a publication instead of library. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, I'll, I'll, a few things. One is that part of that article is about site architecture. And I think that applies across the board. Strong site architecture will help you rank better. It will help readers with discoverability. Uh, there's like a, it will help with internal linking. There's like a bunch of things about site structure that are just super important. Your point is totally valid though. And I actually, I recently read an article by Kevin Lee who runs marketing at um, Oyster, used to work at Buffer, um, which is where most folks know him from. And the article is about what he calls the, I think he calls it the blog plus revolution, where uh, it used to be that every company had one place on their site where content would live. So it would typically be a blog and it would typically typically live in like reverse chronological order, which is kind of the gist of that library versus publication pose. Like stuff gets buried. You feel like you got to write new stuff all the time. So there's new stuff at the top and kind of creates this mentality that like we're running a publication when in fact you're not really, you're just kind of taking a, a sort of expensive approach to your content. His point was that's okay. Uh, and many companies still do that. Um, but they've also broken out different, parts of their site for different types of content. So, you know, now you see a lot of like uh, SaaS companies will have a blog and then they have an academy. Uh, they have a blog and then they have a resource center. And 
basically the kind of long-winded answer to this is that I think it's actually awesome to have both because you can have that stream of new stuff happening and you can have that more live the library, which is meant for like your really evergreen resources that are super easy to discover, probably take a lot of effort to make, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to choose one or the other. I had never noticed that trend. So I thought that was really interesting that he identified that and cited a bunch of examples. Um, so yeah, why not both? If I was going to pick one though, like if I was sort of forced to pick one, I would always choose library though, because it's just, it puts you in a mindset where every piece counts. Every piece has to be really good and you never feel this rush to get new stuff out um, because the new stuff isn't, you, it, the publication is being delivered to readers regularly. Like this isn't, it's just created basically for search. Anyways, it, I'm all over the place, but that, that article, which I think is still valid, uh, pairs nicely with this other article that I mentioned from Kevin, which I can send you the link to if you want. Yeah, and we would love to include that uh, inside the show notes. And I would like to see from you at some point, maybe uh, a library VS publication 2.0 version. Uh, yeah, yeah. If, if you, you know, reconsider some of the, uh, the things that you said back then. Uh, but I really like your, your points. Now, I would like to uh, take us a bit back in 2015, um, which uh, when uh, you um, were the head of content at uh, a SaaS company called Vero, and you um, explain in your ebook uh, on advanced content marketing uh, concepts how you got lay, laid off from, uh, from Vero, even though the strategy um, was at least, you know, f- looking at it from the outside successful in the sense of it was driving traffic. You, you, the website was running for thousands of, of, of keywords. And I have two questions here. The first question is, why is it that con marketers and SEO professionals, obviously, are so overly obsessed with traffic, organic clicks, page views, and so on, and they measure their success against it? And the second one would be, what should they do to ensure that their con marketing efforts actually drive business impact? Gosh, that's really a good question. The, I think... I can't speak for all content marketers, but I can speak for myself in this regard. I felt that content marketing was my domain at that company and that content marketing did not extend into other parts of the business. So I felt that it was my job to grow traffic and it was somebody else's job to figure out how to make money from it. That was obviously short-sighted. As you mentioned, I got fired from that job, even though we drove a lot of traffic. Um, In retrospect, my boss there many, many times pulled me aside to say, that's great. You're working in another SEO piece, but like, what about conversions? How are we going to get people to convert? And I blew it off because I felt like, hey man, this is what I do. I'm getting you tons of traffic. Somebody else needs to figure out how to make money off of it. Um, I think probably content marketers just get um, deep into the world of page views and bounce rates and all of these different engagement metrics because they're easy to measure and everybody looks at Google analytics all the time. It's like, I don't know if that's your primary way that you're measuring your work. If that's what you're reporting on to your manager every month or quarter, whatever, like it's just easy to get hyper-focused on those things. It's also pretty difficult to uh, match up content success to business success. Like lots of companies have different ways of doing this. There's 
a couple different attribution models you can use. There's lots of tools that will help you do this kind of thing. You can cookie people, you can do all this stuff. At the end of the day, it's still hard. Like it's very difficult to prove the value of content marketing. Often what I found in my experience with animals, uh, again, this may be a little woo woo for some folks, but like we had, we had believers and non-believers. There were some folks who felt strongly that content was going to be a key source of their business growth and they were optimistic about it and they invested time and energy into doing it and they were often successful. So it was a self-fulfilling prophecy in that way. Other folks were very skeptical of it, uh, demanded to understand the numbers. They wanted to understand the ROI. They wanted to know how long it would take. That was also a self-fulfilling prophecy. It was just difficult to work in that environment. And it was very difficult for us to prove that content was growing the business. Um, There's ways. I mean, I think probably the best way is just to look at your traffic and look at your MRR. And if they're growing in parallel, you're probably doing a good job. (laughs) I mean, that's probably not enough for a lot of like CMOs and VPs. But if you see that trend, you could probably then dive a little deeper and unpack like, you know, uh, things, uh, content that gets mentioned on sales calls. You could sort of capture some of that more anecdotal evidence. You could also capture some much more objective data about like which posts, you know, drive the most MQLs, like, right. Like many content teams don't measure MQLs, but they probably should. That's a much easier way to gauge the success of the content. Um, uh, so there's all of that. I mean, and I feel like the biggest thing missing for me in that situation at Vero was that, I was not communicating regularly with the sales team or the customer success team. And I really should have been because what I found later on, especially at animals was that I was writing this kind of thought leadership content and it was driving business. And I only knew to write about those things because I was working with our account managers and our customer success folks and our sales folks. And that's how I understood what was really happening versus like at Vero, I was mostly looking at keyword research and it was just kind of leading me off in, in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I would like to uh, shift gears a bit and um, discuss something a bit different. You've experienced con marketing as an in-house employee uh, at a SaaS company, as the VP of growth at con marketing agency, and now as the founder of a community uh, that's dedicated to con marketing. And seeing con marketing through all these different lenses, what are in your experience and I I can only assume with how many companies you have spoken throughout all these years, what are the skills that most software companies miss and are willing to pay uh, to acquire when it comes to con marketing? Oh, that's interesting. In terms of like if they're hiring folks to do content for them. Yeah, it could be in-house or, you know, we are, uh, we don't have this capability in house. We are looking for an agency. It could be. Oh uh, yeah. 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 I see what you mean. Here's how I think about that. And here, here's what I, here's again, kind of my sales experience at animals taught me more about content marketing than anything else I've ever done. And one thing I found doing that is you could, you could get on a sales call six months later, you could look at if that prospect became a customer, you could look at their success or failure and trace it back to things you heard on that initial sales call. There's some scenarios that set companies up very nicely to hire agencies. And there were some that set them up for failure. The situations that set folks up for success might be something like, we've piloted a strategy, we're seeing very good initial results, and now we want to hand it off 
to some professionals to execute for us. That's a great situation because the company has taken it upon themselves to run a few tests. They feel, they, they feel good about it and they've recognized that they are not in a position to execute. So when companies recognize that their core competency is not content creation or content strategy and they hand it off to someone who knows what they're doing, but give them enough guidance to, to keep them in the rails, that's, that's wonderful. A situation that sets folks up for failure would be maybe you've just raised a round and you've got some money burning a hole in your pocket and you're looking to move very quickly. So you outsource some things to get work done fast uh, and then look for the ROI very quickly as well. It just won't happen. It's a long-term thing and you have to give it the time that it needs in order to bear fruit. If you're hiring in-house, it's kind of the same thing. I think that a content lead, if you're going to hire a dedicated content lead, they should work under a marketing director or VP. You know, like I've talked to a few companies recently who are looking to make their first marketing hire and they were trying to decide, should that person be a content marketer? And my reaction was, Absolutely not. Because there's so many other marketing activities that you should be thinking about. Content to go, you're basically going all in on content at that point, um, which I think is overlooking many other things. So if you're going to bring in a content lead, make sure you already have marketing leadership in place to manage that person. Um, from there, let the content person decide what skills are required. They may feel strongly for whatever reason that they want content creation done in-house because the product is complicated and, uh, you know, they want to bring in someone with subject matter expertise to like work very closely with. Or they might say, um, you know, we're going to handle thought leadership content in-house, but the SEO content, uh, you know, with some good research, it could be done well by pretty much anyone. Let's find an agency or contractor to handle that. So it's all like very situational. You know, in general, I think that uh, don't hire agencies or contractors or in-house folks if you're in a rush. It just like, doesn't work very well. Um, but it, especially in content marketing, like, there's settings where that can work well. Um, and then two, like let the people with the most expertise make those decisions for you. So let the marketing lead hire the content person that they believe in, and then let the content person hire the freelancers, contractors, agencies, or in-house team that that they believe in. Okay, speaking about uh, skills and in-house agencies, contractors, whatever, you mentioned at the beginning that you're testing a con marketplace. And I would like to, to hear um, what is the gap that you have seen in the market and you decided, you know, let's, let's try this out. And what is the early feedback that you have from companies who are using the marketplace so far? Yeah, great question. So a couple thoughts. Sorry, I give very long answers. Just cut me off if I'm going on too long. The, um, I created this marketplace for a few reasons. One is because um, we run a job board at Superpath, and it was focused 100% on in-house full-time jobs. The hiring landscape is incredibly difficult right now. Uh, so we were posting some really good jobs and not getting a lot of feedback on, or sorry, not getting a lot of response from candidates on those jobs. Um, I posted a few freelance roles and we were getting like 10 and 15 times the number of applicants to those roles. So that made me think, hmm, okay, 
uh, well, one, it means we have a lot of freelancers in the community, more than I thought, actually. And we're seeing that trend increase, that there's lots of freelance writers hanging out in the community. Um, the other piece was in, in hiring freelancers myself and in talking with other companies who work with freelancers, there's a bunch of challenges in doing that. Uh, often freelancers are like kind of the easiest, cheapest, fastest way to get rolling, but like you have to find them. You know, if you don't already know some folks, you got to go out and find them. Uh, you have to vet them. You have to manage them. If you don't have good process in place, you're going to have to come up with a way to create content briefs. Uh, you're going to need a structured way to give feedback. You're going to need deadline. You're going to need all these things that like make it easy to work with. Um, and then also, I just feel like agencies are getting really expensive. So I felt like maybe there's this, this room for us, sort of, it's, uh, it's more, it's a, it's a managed marketplace, right? So it's, it's fairly refined. It's going to be easier than going out and finding freelancers on your own, but it's also going to be quite a bit cheaper than going to hire an agency to do your content for you. Um, plus, we have the opportunity to... Uh, source tons of writers from within our community. The feedback from customers so far, and this is, again, is very early, has been great. I mean, what I've heard from companies is like, we need content. Um, we don't really have the expertise or the network to go out and find freelancers. So we just kind of want someone to do it for us. You know, and then part of my pitch also is not only will I do that, I've got great process in place. I've got a process for making content briefs. I've got a process for editing. Um, I'm going to create this environment that's very friendly for freelancers to work in. That's going to hopefully keep them around, right? Make, make them want to work with us um, so that it will be easy for this to be sustainable for both parties. So, so far, so good. Again, very early. Um, but I feel, I feel pretty optimistic about where it's heading. That's great. And I really uh, look forward to see, uh, you know, in what it, this 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 marketplace will will be de developed into. Now, one thing that I see, and I guess that you may see that this as a as a thing as a niche as well, is that when it comes to con, not all con formats, of course, but many. Um, essentially, we we are moving toward commod commoditization when it comes to con. And my question would be then. What do you think con marketers can do in order, obviously, to you know keep their jobs, but also further develop themselves and their roles into something more important inside the company and have a voice, you know, uh, in all important decisions, meetings, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that um, uh, my friend Sean Bland wrote an article for his personal blog. I think it's called. Um, so something to the effect of like what I wish I knew about content marketing when I started. He had a better title than that. But in it, he talks about exactly what you just mentioned, which is that content marketers sometimes put downward pressure from management on themselves by commoditizing the work that they do. I think there's different tiers of that, but SEO content is like at the bottom. It's the, it is the most commoditized. It's the easiest to outsource. You can always get it cheaper from somewhere else. Like there's just no bottom to it. Um, there's also this coming wave of AI. I'm very curious to see how that affects things. We've had a number of conversations in our Slack community about tools like Jarvis. I've played around with it. It's pretty amazing. Like I'm stunned actually at what it can do. But 
I think that it creates this new opportunity for content marketers to leverage tools like that and their own ability to outsource work to freelancers or contractors or whoever else to be the strategy folks and the ideas folks and the editing folks. Like there's these certain layers of um, uh, quality and uh, developing the right angle and building brand and all these other things that content can do for you that um, I, I don't see being commoditized. So I think that's the path the content folks should take is like, you know, if you want to be a content creator, you better be really good at it and you better find ways to differentiate. Like maybe you skip SEO content altogether and go and do thought leadership stuff or you ghostwrite for executives or you specialize in writing customer stories. Like you got to pick a thing and, and really go for that. Um, being kind of like a general content creator, I don't think is going to be a great career path for very much longer. But you might think about like, hmm, okay, I could put freelancers and AI to work for me to get a ton done very quickly. And I, I learned how to steer the ship through learning how, learning all about content strategy, learning about how to work across like a product team, a sales team, a success team, et cetera. Because those soft skills of just like getting stuff done, like that's not going to be commoditized either. Um, and uh, I guess last thing I would say, just like, don't be afraid of this commoditization and AI wave. Like, it's okay. Like this type of thing runs in cycles. You know what I mean? L learning the craft of writing is going to be hugely beneficial to you, kind of regardless of what path you end up taking. But you always have to be thinking about um, uh, sort of looking down the road a couple of years and thinking, uh, okay, am I still going to be a content creator at that point? If you want to be, there is a path for it. But if you don't want to be, you got to start thinking about, okay, what do managers do? What skills do they have? What do strategists do? What, are, you know, what experience do I need to do that or, or whatever? We actually wrote a blog post about um, the different career paths that content marketers take, which kind of goes into some more detail about this. I would make the pitch that content marketers are actually very well suited to be entrepreneurs as well. Um, learning how to write and communicate sets you up for success in many ways. So it's not just that you are sort of confined to marketing. You can do many different things. I think that's, that's a great uh, way to, to wrap things up. Um, Zimi, where can people find more about you and Superpath? Best place to go is superpath.co, still.co. We're thinking about buying the .com. Uh, but it's like 10 grand, so I'm, <laughs> I'm like dragging my feet on it. The .co was $12, so that was easy. Um, so go there. That You'll find uh, our blog, our Slack community, the marketplace, um, you know, the, our paid membership. You'll find all that stuff there. Um, and then uh, if you're looking for me specifically, Twitter's probably the best place to go. I'm at Jimmy underscore daily. Uh, and I'm always, you know, hanging out, tweeting about content stuff there. Uh, I tweet about Superbath a lot too, just kind of like kind of behind the scenes, like what's going on. So I uh, would love to connect with folks there. That's great. Jimmy, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun, George. Appreciate it. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.